0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection section. The MMA depressed us and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much.
2: Hey everybody and welcome back to the MMA Vivi section with me Zane Simon and my co-host as always Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down nowhere else other than the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada because you oh, got
3: even up... even oh. better Zane, even better than it's at the Apex.
2: Yeah, I was I was going to say you 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 fucked up my flow, but I was going to say <laughs> going down nowhere else than the Las Vegas Apex cuz you goddamn know that they could not sell tickets to this if they put it anywhere
3: else. Oh, that is for damn sure.
2: They could yeah. you know, you could you could not give these tickets away.
3: At what point does ESPN start feeling ripped off?
2: No point. They the the UFC so far has been a big success for ESPN. So there's we are we are still nowhere near the conversation of when does ESPN get mad because yeah the UFC has still been a huge and and the big thing for them too I think that they've learned you know I remember people we we talked about this we've been talking about this for years but people continue to be like no this is how fight night cards always used to be you know they've always been the lower tier events and it's like yeah no. They are way lower tier events. Not like this. No. Yeah, not like ever. this. Uh, this is... Cle- we're clearly in an era where... I, I remember we had like the... the A bunch of fights got car- cancelled. And we had a card headlined by Okami versus OSP. Mm-hmm. And that was laughably bad. But that was like a bunch of fights got cancelled. Mm-hmm. And... It was it was an outlier. It was comically bad because it was an outlier. We're, we've had
3: like a month straight of that. Yeah, if not but, more. I mean, with, with like yeah. a couple bright spots that are really just the pay per views.
2: Mm-hmm. And the thing that they've realized, uh, you know, and I, I hate to keep hang, ha, rambling on with all this, but whatever, I'm gonna because uh, it's in my brain and it won't get out. It won't go away until I say it. Uh, the thing that they've apparently realized is that pay-per-view events are what gets people to sign up to ESPN plus mm-hmm. and it's a subscription service. So yeah. they don't care who's t- tuning in for this. That has no, like it's not a rated network ratings thing. They don't yeah. care who, who cares who tunes into what on streaming. What they but care how about. are they even doing it?
3: I do you, know they have better fighters on the roster than this. Yeah. I know. It's like it's truly it's like a feat of ingenuity that they have managed to put on so many bad cards.
2: Yeah, it, it is really like for we were just talking about this before the show started. For a company that is once again back to their cutthroat ways, the glory days of, of Joe Silva when you could be like a title contender who lost a fight and they'd just be like, yeah, see ya. Yeah. Don't need you. Uh, back, back to being the kind of company that would cut like Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. Yeah. Um, they still managed to cling to a bunch of fighters that you, you know, you would look at and look at their records and look at their results and just be like, but why?
3: Why are you still here?
2: Why, uh, Jordan, I'm asking for these guys. Why is to get George cut? Wright still here? He's been finished in three straight fights. Yeah, you know,
3: like I'm not. I'm not asking for these dudes to get cut. It just no. it, it, it's some context that makes it all the more horribly impressive that they keep managing to do this.
2: Yeah, like it, it, I'm not. I don't want to see anybody lose a job. I'm not going to demand anybody gets cut. It's just it's a weird thing to have like. Jordan Wright on three straight losses. Yeah. You know, Josh, I guess Josh Parisian's actually coming off a win. Yeah. But
3: uh They're they're losing Saeed Yaqub Kakramanov, but they're keeping Harry Hunsucker. Like uh, what and, is going on?
2: And yeah, like Marchine Prachnio coming off a loss, William Knight coming off a uh coming off two straight losses.
3: Yeah. And
2: Alexander Hernandez coming off two straight losses, mm-hmm. and uh, Lena Landsberg coming off three straight losses, and it's just like, <laughs> why, why you, you know AJ Fletcher coming off two, lo- what what is what why are, why these people why are they staying, and why are they all on one card?
3: Yeah. There, no. there there are two sub-155 one, men's fights on this card. Mm-hmm. They are Jamal Emers, Kusayn Ashk- Ashkabov, Ashkabov, and yeah. Juan Camillo Honderos versus Clayton Carpenter. Yeah. How are you doing this? Yeah. It's You know what I think it is? I think it's backdoor promotion for the White Power Slap League. <laughs> it's like maybe if we get everyone I mean, if
2: to just you make hate, the bad enough
3: yeah if everyone just we'll be hates desperate. the ufc cards they'll have to get their just barbaric violence fixed yeah. somewhere else
2: it, they know that then, they they know we're all junkies at this point they're just cutting the dope more and more and more and more to the point that we're like okay you know what yeah okay maybe heroin like
3: I've been you know I've been fine with cocaine for for years but uh-huh. maybe heroin yeah I mean, I've been getting oxies, but these prescription refills keep getting smaller and smaller Yeah, maybe it's time to get on fentanyl yeah. you know maybe it'll kill me <laughs> and then all my problems would be solved maybe if I start watching the white power slap league I'll have a brain aneurysm and <laughs> I will never have to complain about a card ever again Yeah, if
2: I'd say if, if if you know, if the kind of people who watch the uh, power slap had friends, then maybe, you know, you you get your friends to slap you and maybe
3: kill you. Yeah, my friends slapped me anyway, but. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought maybe you had a
2: punchline to that, but.
3: No, that was it. Okay. They're mean to me. My friends are mean to me. No one likes to talk to me. That was the joke. Keep up, Zane. That's supposed to be the kind of joke you're making. That's why you're confused.
2: Well, yeah, I'm confused because you say friends. And like... Oh, yeah.
3: Well, by friends, I mean random women in the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> okay. Now I'm <laughs> all bored. <laughs> Here, let me help you push your stroller. Oh! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> interaction I have at least five times a week.
2: All right, we've been asked to, like, move this along this week, so <laughs> let's actually talk about this main event. A uh-huh. uh, perfectly serviceable while also being too much too soon um, mm-hmm. matchup between Aaron Blanchfield and Tyler Santos. Even, or, I mean, Aaron Blanchfield and Jessica Androsh. It was supposed to be Tyler Santos, and even that, that felt, a little, too. Yeah. Yeah, felt a little bit like, you know, you're putting a woman who started her mma career in 2018 and ha- has had 11 fights and with somebody who started their their career in 2013 and is just like six years old or not you know not past it just got off a title shot
3: and yeah, what else are they going to do i mean it's women's flyweight like uh, shevchenko doesn't have all day it's, it's true who else is she going to fight they need challengers
2: they do they, they do. do and so, and so now hour and is definitely she looks like a future challenger. Yeah, uh, she will or not after this.
3: Right, I'm I'm less certain. In a real division, she would absolutely like be the kind of prospect that would demand being brought along carefully, but mm-hmm. or at least you know, like I- I'm fine with the UFC like trial by fire within reason. Yeah, you know, you take tough matchups, but ones that look like you know tests that you can pass. Um, And I'm not saying that this or even Santos wouldn't necessarily be that, but it is a big step up given that she's still so young and inexperienced.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and it's especially a big step, step up given the way she fights and what's been the difference maker in her tougher fights. Yeah. Blanchfield is, she's got a good wrestling game. She, You know, she actually shoots and changes her shots well. Mm-hmm. She has a brutal top game, brutal mm-hmm. grappling game. But her striking game is pure modern MMA meta, which means that it's all about pressure and volume and everything else be damned.
3: Yeah, it's very, very broad strokes.
2: Yeah, it's very much, you know, it is the, tre- it is the version of the mo- the modern MMA game that Colby Covington yeah. really latched on to.
3: Yeah, and she's not as good a striker as Colby. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Like, Colby's, at least when he has the initiative and that's going forward, he's not that bad. Yeah. Um, there's enough, like, natural feel that his output is kind of meaningful. Mm-hmm. And uh, Blanche Fields is a lot, it looks a lot more like Felicia Spencer's striking. Mm-hmm. She's like got, Yeah. It's it, it is
2: evolving better than that, but I, I get your point.
3: Yeah, I'm just saying like it's still really undeveloped. And, and like yeah. every time I see Blanchfield throw a kick, I'm like, oh, someone is going to kill you halfway through this kick at some point very soon. Mm-hmm. Certainly Shevchenko, you know, if she yeah. wins this, that's gonna be next. And then certainly Shevchenko is gonna land one straight left while she's kicking. And she's just, it's this very, a lot of her individual strikes are very laborious and awkward looking.
2: Yeah. I mean, that that really came out against uh, J.J. Aldrich, who basically just torched her for a round and a half. Yep. And it was really just the fact that Aldrich is not a big puncher at all. And Blanche Fields, to her credit, I think, given, you know, where she's at in her career and how little, you know, tra- time she's had to develop as a pro is absolutely dogged about. I am going to step in every single chance I get and I am going to time the moment step of the forward momentum of my body with a punch yeah. so that I am ma- landing with maximum the maximum force I can generate in every
3: collision yeah but she absolutely did get punished on the counter especially her kicks yeah many times in that fight yeah. she also got badly outmaneuvered like when she is punching again on, on her punches are her best strikes she's yeah. you know she's got an okay jab she doubles it she throws a right hand behind it um you know could be a lot worse
2: yeah like i said and- she she does she timed her fall into the pocket well with strikes so
3: that... yeah and best of all it, it's a it's a very natural transition from those straight punches to her level change takedown game mm-hmm. um, and into the clinch i mean if you fall into the if you fall in behind your punches and collide with somebody that's you know it's just punches flow into takedowns of all sorts better than kicks in general yeah Which is why the kicking wrestler is always a weirdly disjointed style. Even though Mm -hmm. some people make it work, it it often feels like this is going to fall apart against the right opponent. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she also, when she's punching, um, like the transition is good if the opponent's right there. Mm Mm-hmm. But Aldrich also just outmaneuvered her many times where she, mm-hmm. she, she would plant her feet and start the combination, which, you know, she's ideally hoping there will be a takedown opening at the end of it. And then by the time the first punch is out and coming back, Aldrich is like pack, practically behind her. Yeah. Oh, Um. so, yeah, there, there's just not like any dynamism or flow to her striking as its own phase without the takedown threat. It's really pretty limited. Yeah. And that does seem like a serious problem against Andrade, potentially much more so than it would have been against Santos. mm mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I don't know. This is – I mean, this fight just got made, what, like today, yesterday?
2: It got made like
3: – Didn't they just fill Andrade in, in, the, in the, this week?
2: It was uh, – she – let's see. That was – damn it, where are we here? Uh – that news dropped on, yeah. So fight week, uh, like, I, it dropped on the week of February twelfth. Yeah. So it, it came out Sunday. Yeah. That that the change was made, which probably probably means that Andrade knew early, la- or like late last week. You would hope so. I would hope she she knew like thursday or friday of last week they had called her and said hey we're hearing that blanche feel, or that uh, tyler santos may not be able to fight right are you interested you know and she talks it over with her corner gets into training see sees where her weight's at and then confirms a couple days later and they announce the fight
3: yeah so i mean um that's always a factor when that happens mm-hmm. maybe it means problems for andrage particularly for the weight cut you would imagine yeah, but up at flyweight that seems yeah. less of an of of a factor. Yeah, just, you would think so and also Andrage if it's a question of fitness does not seem like the kind of person who is often out of shape. Yeah, no. Um, I
2: like, have never seen Andrage struggle to look to look fit in a fight.
3: Yeah. So um I- I'm just going to go ahead and assume that um, I, I can't expect an X factor due to the short notice. And, and it's, there's, it's also, you know, the fact that Andraj there are fights like the Nama Yunus series where like, clearly she's like working on specific things,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but most of the time she comes in and does, you know, just sort of whatever point she's at in her career, she does what she's going to do.
2: And, and I, I will say too, she, to that, to that effect, that fight against Lauren Murphy was a nice. Yeah. Bounce back of form for her. Yeah. Where it seemed like she was thinking about the fight a lot less than she was, even against like Lamosh. Yeah. And uh, not against Kaltheo, but you know, like less than she had, was against Shevchenko or Nami Yunus or uh, Lamosh. It seemed like, you know, she she came out there just to pressure and punch, which is absolutely where her game functions.
3: Yeah. And a very consistent performance, and a good reminder of all the things she's good at, which is yeah. punching people very hard and doing a lot for the entire fight, and being hard to take down. Lauren Murphy even got some good yes. takedowns,
2: and Andrade was just right back up. Right,
3: hard away. to take down, very hard to control. She's a she's a super athletic little bowling ball. So, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's not like Blanchfield against Aldrich, for example, a far worse athlete than Andrade. Uh-huh. and merely a decent wrestler it's not like she was running her over every time she got in in a takedown no you know she had a lot of single leg stuff she had a lot of near takedowns that aldrich just framed her and escaped pretty easily uh, again i i think against this level of competition it's going to be be more and more important going forward that her striking setups her entries are really clean yeah, and well disguised, and that currently is like the pinch point where she she is already struggling against, you know, skillful or uh, physically imposing opponents, or both. And yeah. Andrade is both. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say she's the most skillful fighter in the world, but she's got a skill set that works for her.
2: And, well, and, she if nothing else, she delivers. Pun- she she delivers her strikes with the kind of power that most of the rest of the division can't
3: match. Absolutely, something surely that blanchfield outside of maybe sparring with men in the gym has never experienced yeah um will almost certainly be a horrible shock and uh i mean i forgot i'm watching the footage right now i forgot that i mean and aldrich even got blanchfield down herself Mm -hmm. yeah she's just not she she's a really good prospect but she's just not complete enough for me to pick her here yep so i I gotta pick androge yeah You know,
2: there's the outside edge of an upset potential. Um, Blanchfield is five foot four. Andrade is generously five foot one. Uh, Blanchfield does wrestle well. She shoots. Like I said, one of the big things she does is she shoots and keeps her knees off the mat and changes directions with her knees off the mat. Yeah, she so, follows you know, through
3: on her shots really well.
2: Yeah, she she can really follow through on a good takedown well. So there's always a chance that, you know, this is that there's some sort of you know wrestling balance, physicality balance here in her favor that Andraj rarely meets.
3: Yeah, but, but not not a big chance, honestly. It's yeah. And any size disparity, I gotta think, is gonna be more than made up for by Androge's obvious speed advantage.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's I I can talk my, my way into being like, Oh, maybe hope and pray, but I you gotta yeah. pick Andrage here. You gotta
3: just the more you watch any footage of either of them, you're like, Ooh, yeah. this is gonna be tough. Yeah.
2: Blanchfield is a good finisher. She's hard-nosed. She's consistent. She's got a style that can grow and that she can make work
3: at a high level. But, it, And from that perspective, know. it is, in fact, stupid promotional matchmaking too because if the idea is, as I said before, oh, we need contenders, like you, what you want to do and draw Shepchenko again, like yeah. you're giving Blanchfield a test that it, it, the more you look at it, it seems she's not going to pass it. So, uh, what, what happens then? Who's up? Yeah, I guess you got Suarez is making her return soon.
2: Yeah, that would be the other hope. Uh, Andrade opened at minus 190, jumped up to minus 155, currently up at minus 142 after getting back down as low as minus 186. So, those odds are getting they haven't been open long, just a day, just a couple of days, but they are getting shorter.
3: Um, Feels like the opposite should be happening.
2: Yeah, it really does. Blanchfield opened at plus one sixty-five, dropped to plus one twenty seven, got up as high as plus one fifty four, but is currently down at one, plus one seventeen. Um, yeah, it just doesn't like pretty much all the fighters that have beat Jessica Andrade in a month of Sundays. You know, it, since twenty seventeen when she lost to Johanna and Chik,
3: Are world champions.
2: Then not only are they world champions, but they're also
3: mm.
2: better strikers than her. Yeah. They're people who can who can outstrike her.
3: You know? Yeah. And it's and, not like all of those necessarily beat her either. I mean you could argue that Lamosh is in some ways a better striker. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah.
2: It, it, but, I, but, the, but I'm just saying the people who did, the people who succeeded out there, yeah, they're all, you know, Jessica uh, Ioana and Jacek Zhang, Rose Namunas, Valentina Shevchenko, they are all people who could functionally go out there and punish Jessica
3: Andrade standing. Yep. Yeah, but I will just emphasize again, they're also all world champions. Like either they are all champions. or future, they are people who are very clearly ready for the title right now. Yeah. That that is how much physicality matters in this echelon of the sport because otherwise the people who aren't on that tier, both physical and physically and skill wise, just get smoked by Andraj. Yeah. So it, it just seems like way too much too soon. Yep.
2: Alright, that brings us to our co-main event.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This is the co-main.
2: Yeah, co-main event, Zach Palga against Jordan Wright. Uh Uh-huh. And um, I thought, I, I had originally thought, I think it was Wiki that that messed me up on this. That this fight was at middleweight, um, but apparently it's at light heavyweight, which makes my pick, make, makes making this pick much easier. Because <clears throat> <clears throat> um, at middleweight, I would worry about what's Pauga Pauga putting himself through yeah. to get down from a heavyweight debut. I mean, I know he's a small heavyweight, but nonetheless, you know you. That 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 jump from being even two hundred and twenty or two hundred and twenty five pounds or whatever he was down to one hundred and eighty five pounds, yeah, is not an easy one. Uh, no, he weighed in two hundred and thirty nine. So yeah, at mid, at light heavyweight, I am, you know, that that's fine. That's just his natural division. Uh, Jordan Wright. On the other hand, is very much a man at sea. Yeah. And I don't... I would be shocked if this was a really functional difference-making move for him. Yeah, he, I mean... He has the kind of speed and dynamic power. Let's that does say makes. that. Conceptually, light heavyweight does sort of make sense for him. I mean, if you're not going to be durable, but you're going to be fast and
3: powerful. Right. Light heavyweight is that division. Chin's not good enough for middleweight anyway, so what's the difference?
2: Yeah. yeah. Middleweight is a division where guys t- they have they tend to have one deep skill set, maybe not all deep skill sets, but they tend to have one. Yeah. And that has been enough to dismantle Jordan Wright pretty much every time. Yeah. Um, light heavyweight, yeah, it, being fast and powerful and dynamic could be enough. Um, I'm not going to bank on it. the The basic, the basic fact is that. There's no reason Jordan Wright couldn't go out there and knock Zach Pauga out inside a round. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already seen, albeit at heavyweight, Pauga's, Pauga's chin get checked. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have a deep technical game anywhere. Being a better boxer than Mohamed Uzman to a point that you still lose a boxing match. Mm-hmm. Is not really, you know, functionally indicative of any actual great striking talent. But Jordan Wright fights himself out of fights. Yeah. Like he, no matter how, unless he knocks you out right away, it doesn't matter how good he's doing, it doesn't matter how well the fight is going. Doesn't matter how, you know, he's very much one of those dudes where he's kind of like Kyle Nelson, where you look at him, you look at the things he does in a vacuum and they all seem fine. You know, his his defense is abominable. Um, But I think that that's actually just a function of his other problems rather than the fact, you know, some idea that he just hasn't trained well.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, But he wrestles really well. He grapples pretty well and he strikes with power and speed and consistent form. Even if it's mm-hmm. not always the best form in the world, it's always very, he's very good at delivering the same strikes the same way he over and over
3: offensively potent everywhere.
2: Yeah. But even when he is running someone over, if they don't go away, it is clear that. Yeah. It just
3: stresses him. Yeah. So, and I mean, another, a timely comparison would be uh, last week's featured prelim participant Tyson Pedro. Yeah, who uh, I'm glad I picked the Dark Sorcerer Modestus in that one because mm-hmm. some guys you just don't trust them if they can't kill you immediately. And Jordan Wright is one of those guys. Also, a little bit like Randy Brown in that, like yeah. he sort of he stresses out. He also just loses focus, and and a big problem for him is getting put into just deadly positions yeah. where then his, it really, really taxes his ability to react defensively, which is the the thing he's not good at anywhere. Yeah. And so, yeah, like more than once Jordan Wright has started really hot, hurt somebody. And then before he even collapses, he will just sort of take his foot off the gas, drift towards the fence. And then just like stand up really, really tall on his tippy toes while he's in the corner getting beaten up. Yeah terrible in those positions
2: and so i'll take pauga i mean he's just kind of yeah I, i'm interested to see what he can do he he could very easily be more like villanueva than uh mark andre barrio
3: Mm-hmm. you know yeah that, that's the question that's the, the pedro question to me honestly yeah because again I, I do i mean the more i think about it i uh, Jordan Ryan, a lot of heavyweight, doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. you don't, it, it doesn't does. necessarily have to be huge. Again, like...
2: And, and he's not a small guy. Like,
3: No, no, no. He's like Jimmy Crute-sized at least, too. right? Yeah. And a way better athlete than Jimmy mm-hmm. Uh He doesn't have 10% of Jimmy Crute's willpower, which has been proven mm-hmm. more than once on both counts. But um, I might pick him, honestly. I, I feel like this actually... Just makes kind of sense to me. Like,
2: yeah, I think well, the bigger reason I'm not is because this this feels like a weight change born of desperation, and extra desperation for Jordan Wright walking in yeah. is
3: just it's
2: a burden I'm I'm unwilling to ride with.
3: My question is, how much more desperate can you get? It's not going to change the way he fights. True, true. Um, and like just against somebody who's also not super durable, it is just. By design but also visibly slower than the guys who were knocking you out before yeah I, I guess I'll pick Jordan right I mean first I, round KO is the only way to pick him so I'll pick him to finish quick
2: let's see what what, it, what what you can get at those odds just for the hell of it I wouldn't bet on this please don't no 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 I wouldn't either but we gotta look <laughs> uh, right by KO is plus three as high as plus 390 plus 350
3: if you're gonna bet on him bet him by finish yeah. right
2: And then uh, right inside the distance is plus two seventy five, but you can, which is nearly the same. You can get right right at straight odds at you know plus two forty, and right wins in round one is plus four fifty
3: to plus five seventy five. So, I mean, yeah, there's only one way he ever wins.
2: Wright is the underdog here, opened at plus 170, jumped up to plus 240, is currently at plus 226. Pauga opened at minus 195, dropped to minus 280, and is currently minus 281. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is the right kind of matchup for Wright in that he's got an opponent who really only brings one thing to the table, and it's not that deep. Yep. And he's, he's pretty raw in his career at this point, Pauga. He hasn't fought very much.
3: Yeah, I think so. it's just as likely that Palga is the kind of opponent who, with that inexperience, gets overwhelmed by yeah that first flash. R- right, right is very, very intense in those first few minutes.
2: Yeah, well, he's panicking. He's getting, you know yeah. this yeah. Pure, pure fight or flight response.
3: Yeah, but you know, like uh, the, the, there's, there's a reason like a Wolverine can scare off a grizzly bear. Like, sure, oh, sure. is this worth it? I know really, I can win, it but
2: <laughs> it really does seem like. Right, maybe he has like multiple personalities and the guy ga- the, the personality that dominates most of his life
3: yeah,
2: is like a badass warrior that loves training.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then every time he steps into the cage, he disassociates and like the <laughs> the nerdy personality that hates fighting and has no idea what's going on suddenly gets mm-hmm. to take control. Yeah. And he just like wakes up in the cage suddenly be what what? No. Yeah. Again? How?
3: <laughs> I was also thinking, yeah, there's just a depressive side of him that like only pressure. He, go, he, goes to the, uh, he goes to the therapist. He's like, Doc, I'm depressed. You know, my fighting career isn't going great. He's like, I know what will cheer you up. <laughs> go see Jordan I, Wright. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very exciting <laughs> fighter. Like totally loves violence. Like absolutely kill or be killed. You're going to love it. But Doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The other side of Jordan Wright. No, I just think, yeah, you know, panicking is obviously bad, but it works for Jordan Wright 50% of the time, and um, for a reason, because he's dangerous.
2: All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Once again, what is this? Like, what? (laughs) Why? Uh, Uh-huh.
3: Whatever, uh, Josh Parisian Jamal Pogues, and I, um, I will say of all the heavyweights they've had on the Contender series and signed, mm-hmm. I don't hate jo- I don't hate Pogues the most. Well, that's that's
2: better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick.
3: Yeah, damning with faint praise, maybe, but yeah, uh, yeah. certainly for a guy who bears a lot of similarities in my mind to uh, Waldo Cortez Acosta. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think he's like, he's already shown that he can deal with the exact same problems in a more promising way.
2: Okay,
3: Because like, you know, one thing Waldo Cortez Acosta has proven is that he will plot after someone forever and not change anything while they just chop his legs to bit with low kicks. Even if that person is Jared Vandera. Nobody's idea of a low kick aficionado. It was Mm -hmm. Vandera, right? It wasn't Hunsucker or one of the other ones. For. For uh, Costa, uh, Cortez, Costa. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm Cortez- pretty sure it was, v- was Vander Okay. Let's just, yeah. Let's just go with that. Um, Pogue's stylistically very similar when he's on the feet. Very plodding, super heavy on his front foot in his second contender series fight against, uh, it was Henato something, right? Paulo Henato Jr. Yeah. He. Um, Yeah, I mean, he got his lead leg chewed up. Mm -hmm. And after um, showing like a a really nice jab, honestly, Mm -hmm. very quick, straight, taking advantage of his reach, after kind of, I mean, narrowly, but sort of dominating Henato Jr. with that in the first round, Henato Jr. woke up. His low kick started to take more effect because he had been landing them the whole time. He continued landing them. He started to step in on combinations, and it was looking like... yeah cortez acosta kind of fight where it's like okay is he just gonna like drift out of this entirely Mm -hmm. and um and maybe only win because his opponent is a heavyweight and uh and even worse in fact because like Hanato jr is not really a heavyweight yeah he's very small so it was even (laughs) kind of tougher because this dude's not just going to get tired and go away um and to his credit did he like figure out how to defend the low kicks hell no but he did get pretty aggressive in the third round, which is always yeah. a pretty good sign for a heavyweight. Yeah. Um. So we're looking at an incredibly raw fighter, but somebody who has a takedown game. They mm-hmm. talked about it like it was very impressive because in his previous contender series fight, he was easily able to take down another heavyweight. Yeah. That's not he- heavyweight really
2: mean- is the kind of yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, the division where like you really you know we got to give these big boys a hand because. You yeah. know, bringing some technical skill to the game is, is always, it must yeah. be applauded and appreciated.
3: Yeah, the gargantuan engine that could kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, he has a takedown game. He will go for it. And that is also a thing that works at heavyweight. Like, Sorge yeah. Spivak isn't a great wrestler, even a very good wrestler. But he goes for it, and it makes a huge difference in his fights. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, a guy who can throw really quick, straight punches and does seem to have some ability to not only go later in the fight, but, um, can actually, even in very broad ways, respond to the shape the fight is taking Mm -hmm. up the intensity. You know, it's, I take those as reasonably good signs for a raw heavyweight prospect. Sure. And then you have Josh Parisian. Yeah. Who's was a uh, top of the list of the guys that you were like, why is he here? What, <laughs> you know, what is he good at? Um, he, he won in the most classic heavyweight way. I mean, I'll give him credit. Yes. Yeah. Somewhat durable enough.
2: He is durable enough to be here. The only times he has lost in his career are almost, you know, to, they're either, Submissions or they are like accumulated ground strikes.
3: Yeah. You know. Um or decisions, you know, but Yeah. Yeah, he's he's hard to finish. And that is literally the only reason he beat an otherwise very beatable guy in Elon bodo hmm Because he was getting completely lit up. Oh yeah. Uh which you know is typical for bodo fights and then he gets tired and loses heart and credit to Parisian for being a classic regional-level heavyweight and being able to take advantage of that by still being there. Yep. But he didn't exactly do anything, like, proactive uh, until the point when Badeau was already collapsing. hmm So I guess I'll take uh, Pokes, because he's looks like he's got a reach advantage. He's got much faster, much sharper hands. He's not really very good at all at putting combinations together, but... Parisian's going to spend a lot of time just stuck on the end of a really annoying and very stiff jab. And, uh, you know, yeah, there are definitely opportunities for Parisian to figure some things out. He's, you know, he's going to land low kicks. Just just so we just so you know, Parisian
2: does apparently have a two inch reach advantage. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I don't think it's going to feel I don't think it's going to feel like it.
2: Well yeah, I mean Parisian his whole style of fighting is
3: run into you and create
2: chaos to and just try to thrive in a brawl. That is yeah. the entirety of what Parisian is doing. He he knows he's tough and he knows that he does not have a technical game, so he's trying to make that fight as messy as possible and to yeah. just do wild stuff, be creative. Yeah. take whatever opportunity you get it's very much his kind of fight
3: yeah I don't know that Pogues um, knows he's tough until he's taken a few shots mm-hmm. but I think he actually is pretty tough yeah and, and again the most promising thing is that he not both the energy and the willpower to actually turn it on late in a heavyweight fight and that is usually when Parisian when he wins it's because his opponent can't do that so yeah. I'll, I'll take pokes he's, he's I, got I'm, something resembling a prospect game he's sure. I mean, not good yet but it's enough
2: i'll take parisian i sure. think that this is a fight where the fact you know we talk about pogues looking decent in on the contender series or battling back on the contender series
1: mm-hmm.
2: but that's also you know was against a six foot tiny guy that he could kind of you know he 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 could assert a pretty significant size advantage on, yeah, and range advantage, and Parisian is bigger. He's just bigger.
3: Yeah, the, I mean the previous contender series performance was against a more heavyweight sized heavyweight. That was the dude he took down seven times. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you know, he, this the thing is, you know, I I think the the main thing for him also against Anato is he really went in there pretty clearly wanting to win a striking battle.
2: Yeah. I just don't think that, I I think the Parisian can make this fight absolutely brutal. And through doing that, yeah. Where folks out, I I, I think that the, yeah, you know, I, I I don't trust the translation transition of his gas tank from beating guys regionally to winning in the UFC yet, at least not with the level of fitness. It looks like he has because, You know, he he looks like a guy fighting his way back into shape. Yeah. He was actually supposed to go back down to
3: 170 or 100 or 205 pounds for this. Yeah. He's not himself a giant heavyweight. I think he's more than heavyweight size, but he's not huge. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I I think the Parisian can just crash into him over and over again until at some point he hurts him a little bit or just wears him out for hurting hit for Pogues hurting Parisian. And then that's the kind of fight that Parisian
3: can take over. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I just have a feeling I think Pogues will, will actually respond sort of okay when the fight gets crazy. But um, uh, so far, he hasn't really had to go toe to toe like that. So Yeah.
2: Pogues opened at minus 170, dropped to minus 193, is currently at minus 246. Parisian opened at plus 145, jumped up to plus 168, is currently at plus 199. I don't understand the spread here. Like, yeah. I know Parisian's not a very good heavyweight technically. Yeah. But he's six foot four, two hundred and sixty-five pounds with the seventy nine inch reach who has gone two and two in the UFC. hmm Like losing to Parker Porter and Dante Mays, but beating Roque Martinez and Alan Brodeau, and over his career has generally, you know, he's a winning heavyweight against Mm-hmm a guy in Jamal Pogues who himself is nine and three.
3: He's got know? the basic requirements and he uses them aggressively. I mean, yeah, their durability like, and endurance as a weapon. That's a good base at heavyweight.
2: Like Pogues lost a fourth round fight via heel hook in okay. LFA two years ago. Yeah. You know, this is not a guy who is the, un- the picture of unbeatable heavyweight prospects.
3: No, so, it's a, cl- a classic contender bump kind of thing.
2: I, yeah I guess like I'm not saying that he can't be favored it's just this is this looks like a dead even fight to me
3: I I'm know with you. I'm with you
2: all right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout William Knight, Marcin pratchneo, and um
3: <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I can't wait. Knight
2: looks much much more dangerous than he is just mm-hmm. you know the kind of fighter you look at him and you're like wow that dude's a powerhouse you see him land a punch and you're like wow that dude's a powerhouse and you watch him fight around you're like
3: wow. why is he so scared
2: yeah why 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 can't he do anything consistently with any sort of
3: form yeah. at all he's got uh, he's got congo syndrome mm. check congo yeah. If 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 looks could kill, Czech Congo would be a reigning champion for 20 years straight, but we all know it's not, it's not about how mean you look. Yeah. And,
2: I mean, the big thing for me with Knight, unfortunately, is really, like, he, other than knocking out Fabio Chiron, he, you know, he, his power has not been Enough to stop anybody in the UFC. No, and Charant is one of the like very. This guy is just way too raw and not yeah.
3: ready. He hurt Alonzo like, Menafield a few times.
2: Yeah, he, he put he made Alonzo Mayfield passive. He has the yeah. power to do that. It's no question. Mm-hmm. But you know when Devin Clark wasn't willing to go to be pacified, Clark just went out and beat him. You know yep and and Maxime Grishin just you know
3: schooled in yep if you're good or just really tough and determined, yeah, you're gonna stay in there long enough to get lots of opportunities against Knight.
2: which makes this fight interesting because uh does it Prachnio is he is a better striker and more determined than uh Knight certainly, yeah. but tough is always the big question mark. Because yeah. this is, you know, Marcin Pratchett is very much a guy who can get knocked out. Uh, we've talked, you know, it does seem like that pro- that problem has improved lately. No doubt. He's, he's taken an enough step up in his striking training that he is not uh that he sees more strikes coming. He doesn't mm-hmm. get as, as lost in exchanges where he just doesn't know what's about to hit him and it gets his clock absolutely cleaned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's worth a little bit of pause there. There's certainly... N- Night is, does hit hard enough with single strikes that if he... That he I mean, he'll hurt Prachnio.
3: He almost so, certainly will, yeah.
2: That will absolutely happen. It's just... Yeah, he doesn't, he, you know, Knight doesn't but, finish most f- fighters. And if he's not going to finish most fighters, then
3: Procneil will win. Yeah, I mean, it's Khalil Roundtree hurt Procneo. Yeah. And um, Roundtree's yeah, much I, more consistent than Knight. Much more uh, and more dangerous. I mean, just flatly, yeah. he's, he's in, I think, an even harder puncher, uh, yeah. a harder hitter in general um, and more diverse in his yeah. output. And that was nonetheless an area where. Procnio succeeded. He stayed at the right ranges to use this full striking skill set. And uh, I think that will ultimately be the problem for William Knight because something he does against anyone who shows even a modicum of aggression is he, he turns into a counterpuncher. Yeah. And he is powerful, but Form wise, a terrible counterpuncher. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who the, the shot he hit Fabio Charant with, and it was also one of the shots, at least one of the shots he hurt Mennefield with. They called it a check hook. Yeah. Folks, that is not a check hook. No. A check hook is uh, you know, and I and I'm not even being pedantic, like which I have in the past. I called out like uh called out. I mean, I disagreed once with uh Caposa. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, I was like, that's not a check hook. It's just a counter left hook. A check hook is a different thing. It, it involves changing angle. And he was like, yeah, 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 don't be pedantic. And I was being pedantic to a degree. Yeah. Well, you um, pedantic. Yeah, obviously. No, this is different. This is yeah. not you. You are insulting the idea of of it's barely a counter hook. He's like leaning backwards. He's losing his balance. If he wasn't a terrifying athletic specimen, he would not have any power whatsoever in the position he puts himself in to make it so that he's not just trading yeah like he, he, there there is no defensive structure there is no footwork it's just like maybe I'll ding you with it's like the uh the hook that um Rothwell knocked chow about with mm mm-hmm. <laughs> like calling that a check hook when it's like yeah. how what happened how did that work um but the, the big problem is that, yeah, being able to be sort of forced to coerced into counter mode is, I think, very dangerous against a guy in Procnio who, again, guy sees a sees a leg kick opening. He's going to throw it. Yeah. Guy sees your body open. He's going to throw it. It's one of his great qualities as a striker. Uh, As stiff and awkward as his striking can look is that he does take the targets that are given to him. He doesn't absolutely, uh, which is a a huge point of growth for him, because before he was trying to force everything. I think that's, if anything, the biggest improvement is that he has learned to just take the damage that is available. And I think he's going to be able to win rounds off William Knight by doing. Oh, yeah.
2: He will absolutely win rounds. He will also absolutely get hurt at some point, yeah, no, and it, it'll just be down to whether or not in that moment of getting hurt, he gets finished. But like we were saying, Knight does, you know, he just doesn't have enough form on yeah. anything to hurt people, to, to follow up
3: consistently on the damage he does. Exactly, that's really yeah. it. it. You can't put any two techniques together.
2: Yeah, it has on, to be a one-punch KO, because yeah. if it's not... He's not going to, there's not going to be a follow up with it for another 30 seconds.
3: Yeah, for sure. So,
2: yeah, I w- we're agreed. Picking Prochneo, it's just always also like, oh, light heavyweight is just so that division.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Lots of, lots of power, lots of, lots of dynamic athletes, not a lot of durability, not a lot of skill depth. Yep. Uh, Pratchett opened at minus 110, got down as low as minus 124, is currently up at minus 103. Knight opened at minus 110, is currently down at minus 119. Slight favorite odds for Knight. Uh, it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really. They're, but they're they're dead even, which is what it should be. It's just,
3: don't bet on this, this fight, folks. <laughs> don't um, watch this card. Yeah, yeah. Why are you listening to this?
2: That's right. No way. Okay.
3: <laughs> leave us alone <laughs> i hate you
2: all right that brings us to a lightweight bout jim miller alexander hernandez
3: far and away the most interesting fight on the entire undercard
2: yeah and we not were not talking about we were talking um earlier about Jordan Wright and how moving weight divisions can be just another bigger sign that that there's a mental block not being cleared. Yeah. Alexander Hernandez is back at lightweight.
3: Yep. What do you mean? You mean his problems weren't solved by being nominally bigger?
2: as as shocking as it may be.
3: I can't believe I, I was sure that it was his problem. I was watching these fights and I was like, man, you know what the problem is? Hinato Moikano is too big. Yeah, no. Former it, featherweight Hinato Moikano it, it, is simply too big for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. That that's it. It's just the whole solution. He he said, you know, apparently he told the broadcast booth, I'm giving up 12 pounds to these lightweights in the cage.
3: <laughs> including Hinato? apparently look at me looks like a teenager <laughs> he's like the scrawniest man in the division are <laughs> you talking about um also didn't he didn't he no i'm imagining i thought he also had a fight previously with uh ricky glenn but i'm imagining that
2: no yeah that, that's uh that oh that's grant dawson
3: okay yeah 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 um yeah, I mean, if if as if as if you even needed the Hinata Moikano fight as like MMA math evidence that size was not the problem, we already knew it yeah. just from watching the fights. And yeah, I don't mean to, which is exactly what I'm doing. So I guess I do, but my main intention is not to just like make light of Hernandez's struggles, just to mock him for being like obviously that's not the problem. Yeah most MMA fighters their problem is they do not know what they don't know they have a sense of loyalty to their gym or they have very real you know human needs that give them an inertia that keeps them stuck in place like I can't I can't uproot my life and just move uh at a moment's notice and also I'm an MMA fighter I don't know what I'm moving for like I I don't know how to tell who's the camp that's going to fix my problems there's a lot of ignorance in MMA training particularly on the side of the fighters and a lot of coaches out there who one way or another deliberately or otherwise will take advantage of the fact that fighters don't know what they need
2: yeah I mean this sport is still full of coaches who had you know I'm not saying that you I hate to say this because it you know it, it reflects an argument that I don't like to make but the sport is still full of coaches who have never competed at a high level.
3: Yeah. And there's also the fact that even coaches who have competed at a high level are usually MMA fighters. Yeah. But so I they mean, don't know I, what they don't know either.
2: Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, there, there is, I think, a, a lot, there are a lot of coaches that we have seen come and go in, in this sport.
3: Yeah. Who
2: seemed very good at a specific point in the meta. Yeah. But as the sport shifted, they couldn't, and in part, it feels like one of the reasons that they couldn't necessarily shift is that like they they were game, you know, the, their best moments as coaches were game theorying MMA, yeah, rather than knowing fundamentally how the sport is like. You know what? What the sport meta is built on, and how it's changing, and what that change requires. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like we see somebody like Farah Zahabi was a cutting edge coach at one point in MMA, but you don't see. You know, we we, have, we haven't seen like Zahabi Tristar fighters catch up to this to like the modern volume meta right. of so striking and things and like that. There's also the fact
3: so many coaches you think of as great coaches, they end up being exposed at some point as as some percentage of charlatan when you start looking at their fighters that aren't elite athletes. Well, yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it's it, like, it. oh okay, so you get a guy who's not GSP, you get a guy who's not John Jones. What are you able to do with them? Nothing. Yeah. And I think that really should be the measure of a coach's actual instructional quality is yeah. We've said this before, like, look at their mediocre athletes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see how they are equipped to deal with their limitations to work around them. Um, and there are guys who impress you in that regard. Yeah. Like, we always name drop Hooft and Cordero. I, I still maintain, I think, Greg Jackson, when he was actually involved at that camp, was mm-hmm. not a great technical coach, but very good at finding ideas that worked around the limitations of his fighters, even the yeah. ones that weren't amazing athletes. Um, but the vast majority of MMA coaches, even ones who have a lot of sh- Dwayne Ludwig is another one who I think quite obviously instills good habits in his fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, but the vast majority of coaches who have a little moment in the limelight, you just sort of find out eventually like, oh, okay, now I'm looking at your mediocre dudes and they look more mediocre than they should. Yeah yeah um yeah there there are a lot of charlatans and 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 um I don't even think it's i think a lot of it's not malicious, I think a lot yeah. of it is the coaches themselves don't know what they're not able to teach and a big moment for me is like a, a guy who talks unknowingly about fights um who started off as like a one hundred percent technique nerd, you know, like uh-huh. trying to understand fighting the way I now enjoy understanding chess um Being like, oh, like technique and uh, this, this punching form and footwork. I had to figure out that that is nowhere near the end all be all. Yeah. That physicality, that willpower, conditioning—that these are huge. But most MMA. Yeah, but most MMA coaches need to have the opposite revelation. Yeah. Yeah. So many times when a guy changes weight class, the answer is, in fact, to get better. Mm-hmm. you know I, I that's much easier said than done but oh, it yeah. will but it will work it will yield results whereas dropping to featherweight is not any kind of solution for a yep. guy like alex hernandez yep so anyway he's now in a position where he may very well win because jim miller is old
2: yeah and, and when alexander hernandez if you give him a moment of physical advantage glory
3: Yes, he can break people. You Absolutely, know that- he's powerful. He's fast. Yep. Um, when he is in the driver's seat, like this is the this is the the Tyson Pedro thing again. Like yep. I'm sure many people have been suckered into thinking that Alex Hernandez has solved his issues. Yep. Each time he wins, because he usually looks great mm-hmm. when he's in command. The man looks like smooth and controlled and he puts his strikes together. There's still a lot to like about Hernandez's process, but he has never solved his fundamental issues, Yeah, which are a lack of ability to control or even sense range, mm-hmm. really poor defensive footwork and defense in general. Um, and because of that massive fight, losing overreactions to counter strikes are a yeah. huge problem for him. And that could very easily be a problem against Jim Miller, too. Yeah. The, Jim Miller, not, not a bad counterpuncher, honestly. No.
2: Probably the biggest saving grace, potential saving grace here for Hernandez is that Miller has spent so much of his career as a first-round fighter where, yeah. you know, Hernandez is likely to have his most success. Yeah. So,
3: Although, having said that, yeah. these last three Miller wins... Round they're two all, comebacks.
2: They're all round two comebacks. So it may be that, that the, those days, so, well, like, they can't be behind. Like Miller's cardio is not just going to magically be better. He yeah. may be more comfortable in the cage yeah. than ever before. So he just is able to fight within himself better. Yeah. Well, um, I would
3: even say that is less less of a defining characteristic of Miller, even in the last quite a long time than it was in the heyday of his Yeah. Yeah, He was really – the moment he became a seriously experienced vet, he at least started to settle down enough that those didn't – those moments when he would start to fade didn't become instant fight-losing problems. Yeah. Uh, Look at his – that fight with Dustin Poirier is one that I'm always referencing because it's one of the most incredible like post-prime veteran performances you can think of. Sure, yeah. And – that's not the not close to the last time he has managed to do that to somebody. And against worse fighters, it usually results in a win. Yep. So I don't know. It is it is still a hard one to figure out just because it just feels like Hernandez is such a physical presence. He's
2: going to win round one. That, yeah, I think almost. it's a safe thing that he, Alexander Hernandez is going to win round one.
3: Yeah. And Miller's problem, his bigger problem that he has never solved is that he will— gets sucked into absolutely whatever fight his opponent wants to have. Yeah. Um, but the thing with the fight that Hernandez wants to have is there are still lots of openings within it.
2: Yeah, and it's still not a fight that makes him happy. It's, no. it's like Jordan Wright. Hernandez can be having all the success in the world, and if that doesn't lead to a finish, he he starts to get uncomfortable. Something will go wrong, because something goes wrong for almost every fighter in almost every fight.
3: Of course, you know, it's MMA. I mean, something's yeah. going to go wrong that you do not do not expect. It's
2: chaotic always. Yeah, but whenever something goes wrong for Hernandez, you just see it suck the life out of him.
3: Yeah, yeah. I just look at the the fights that Hernandez has actually managed to win. Yeah, and like, I, I, I guess the best hope is that he can like somehow reach back in time and and pull out that. Olivier Alban Mercier performance.
2: Yeah, that is like the best gritty Alexander Hernandez, here is your potential
3: fight. but I think he had, the the real thing is that he just had yet to find out that he was breakable. Yep. So he didn't know. (laughs) He was in there like, well, this is a tougher fight than I'm used to, but um, uh, I'm immortal, so no problem. Ever since he learned that lesson in the Cerrone fight, he has had the Post Silva Talis latest reaction to the first moment something goes wrong, Yep. where it just gets worse each time because you're reliving a nightmare. Um. So yeah, I, 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 I don't. I guess I'll pick Miller. I don't think yeah. it's 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 the least safe Miller pick it in the really last was. like six seven fights for him, but it is still like. Getting getting tossed around, getting put on the back foot, which is definitely going to happen. Getting hit hard,
2: essentially getting taken down a bunch. Like yeah, like Vince Michelle, even yeah, even Scott Holtzman, I think. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They all put Miller on the on his back.
3: Yeah, he's going to have serious problems early. But the the problem for Hernandez, as I said, is that the the issues are contained even within the fight he wants to have. Jim Miller is going to counter him at some point. He's going to counter yeah. him hard and clean, and then he's going to pursue him, and he's going to kick his legs, and things are going to feel like they're starting to go downhill. And, uh, you know, he's not Mike Breeden or Chris Gritzmacher. Like, yeah, even a very old Jim Miller is a much better athlete, a harder hitter, and a way more resourceful and crafty fighter than either of those guys by far. So yeah. I'll, take, I'll take Jim.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna roll with it too. I just Hernandez, like I, you know, I said with the, jo- the Jordan Wright situation, it's just like you see somebody in this this kind of career limbo where they are floundering. They are, you know, they tried to make some big correction, and you know, he, if he's telling people, oh, I'm giving up 12 pounds to these lightweights, I'm a natural featherweight, and everybody's like, oh wow, it looks like his featherweight cut went really well and all that. And then you go out and you lose and you jump right back up. Like you didn't have the confidence to stay at 155 pounds. I don't
3: know what you're doing.
2: Yeah. What He's... is, what is running back into that going to do for you?
3: Yeah. You know, you, you, you already convinced yourself it was a good move for a reason that is evidently untrue. Yeah. And now you're just back in, in the position of having proven to yourself that you don't know what your problem is.
2: Yeah. It's a tough well, place to be. It really is. I'm picking Jim Miller as well. I am I feel very confident he will lose the first round of this fight. Yeah, If he gets knocked out in that first round, I won't be shocked. Not at all. But...
3: Even if, he, even if he gets ragdolled in the wrestling yeah, and he goes downhill rag- from there, like that's going to take a lot of energy out of him. That won't be a shock either.
2: Yeah, but I can't trust Hernandez not to find a way out of this fight if Miller can just hang tough and exactly. and be a veteran and take the fight to Hernandez over three rounds.
3: Yep, he's just going to have to be gritty one more time.
2: Miller is the underdog here, opened at plus 210, dropped down as low as plus 154, is currently at plus 191. Alex Hernandez opened at minus 250, got up as high as minus 187, but is back down at minus 241. I'm
3: a little surprised. I mean, I'm okay with Miller even being an underdog here. That doesn't seem like wrong, but really with as, as many question marks around Hernandez's Whole career at this point, I feel like pretty even odds are would be the most accurate.
2: Yeah, like I mean,
3: too unpredictable.
2: He's coming off a loss to Billy Quarantillo,
3: who yeah, yeah,
2: like I like Billy Q, but he's not any kind of top featherweight athlete. Yep,
3: yeah, not at all.
2: And so, like you know,
3: basically anybody who's just tough and fights back yeah. and give Miller- give Hernandez fits.
2: Yeah. So I I I'm a little little unsure of the thought. Anyway, on that note, that wraps up the main card vivisection. You can find me on Twitter at These Zane Sam, find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush, find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast and the Bloody Elbow Sound SoundCloud Network or Podcast Network on SoundCloud YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And as always, the MMA Viva section is brought to you by Chris Rini and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at chrisreini.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I dot com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.
1: Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Viva section. The MMA Depressed Us and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much.
0: the Level Change Podcast. The MMA Vivis section The 6th Round Post-Fight Show. 6th Round Retro. The MMA Depressed Us. Crooklyn's Corner. Exclusive Fighter Interviews. Show Money. Guest Podcasts. The Hey Not The Face Podcast. And Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BloodyElbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com.